Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode number 103. I'm Daniel Shaw. This episode, I'm going to talk about some lessons that we can learn from the Townville Elementary shooting. And before I get started, I'm going to preface this episode with, um, you know, I've been watching this very, very closely as soon as I, I saw that it happened. Uh, I started reading about the incident and uh, the little boy, Jacob Hall, who was transported to the hospital for, uh, for moral injury. Uh, from the gunshot wound, I just couldn't help but recognize immediately that this little boy bears a striking resemblance with my six-year-old son, Gunner. Uh, as I look more into it, uh, they, the similar attitudes on life, uh, the, the things that they like. The uh, uh, he, Jacob was born just 11 days before my son, Gunner, and there was just so many things that was so close to this. Uh, the fact that uh, myself and Ryan Hoover have our active killer defense program that, that teaches hemorrhage control is, is one of the segments in the class. And, you know, a lot of the things and the, uh, the Jamie Brock tackling the person using another technique that we teach. And the fact that it, it happened about two hours from where I'm sitting right now. And it, uh, and it just slapped me in the face and I, I just can't, I haven't been able to take my mind off of this little boy for three days. You know, when, I, when I'm playing with my son, um, and and, and we're just, like we do every night, and hang out and laugh and watch videos and, and play games and, and joke, um, I, I can't help but have in the back of my mind that you know I, I hope Jacob gets to do this with his dad again, uh, and how fortunate I am to to have my son there. And it's just, man, it, it's been. It's been very emotional for me. I don't remember the last time I was just emotional about anything in life uh, other than losing buddies in, in Iraq. Um, this has been a a powerful three days for me. Um, and, you know, maybe even, even life-changing because I'm, I'm thinking about uh, what I can do, you know, if I could, if I can do more and just kind of, it's a... Uh, I don't even know what to say. I, mean, I don't know how this episode's going to turn out. Uh, I, I've already told myself that I am not going to edit it because I don't want to go back and listen to it again. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass on that. So however it rolls out is how it's going to roll out. Um, but man, this, is, this has been this has been huge for me. And I'm actually going tomorrow down to the, uh, uh, the Baptist church that uh, Jacob's family attends. And they, they're having a community service. And I'm going to drive down there and... Uh, and I have no idea why, but uh, I just I just feel like I want I need to go down there, and so that's what I'm going to do. Um, let's let's start out with the uh, the timeline of of what we know. And when I say what we know, it's mostly from from news reports. And then you can piece together a few things from some uh, public figures that are speaking and talking about timelines and things that have happened. And this is this is the best information that I've came up with right now. Now, no matter what I say in this this episode, I'm not I'm gonna do my best to not make any assumptions. There's a few things that, that I don't have full information on uh, that I am kind of you know making a little bit of an assumption on it, and because uh, I don't have all the full details, uh, and I'm trying to do that as little as possible. Um, and I, re I reserve the right to change uh, some of these timelines and my opinions as we get more information because most of these these incidents like this, as after they develop and then the, the police reports are released and more information is out there, we can get a better picture uh, than what the news media has put out. But to the best of the information that I've found, uh, research on the Internet, this is the timeline that, that took place and kind of how the, the events played out. So uh, the first thing that happened was the, the shooter killed his father. Uh, young 14-year-old 
uh, kid, killed his 47-year-old father. Um, he contacted his grandparents, and he was crying, and, and the communication was very unintelligible. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot more information on that or why he was calling them or what was going on. Uh, if he was just trying to reach out before he did something, we really don't know. Um, uh, that prompted the grandparents to go investigate, and that's when they discovered the, the father had been killed. Um, the shooter drove a truck, um, Dodge Ram, if that matters, uh, for any more detail, to uh, to the school parking lot. And uh, the school parking lot, if you look at some of the pictures, it's not very far from the playground. Uh, there's one report that showed he just kind of walked across the parking lot down the sidewalk to the playground. And then I found other reports that said he jumped over the fence uh, to get into the playground. So uh, not 100% sure on that, uh, but it, there was every indication that he was going to attack the kids on the playground. Um uh, while they were at recess, and that's what he did, and he ended up shooting two children and one teacher. Uh, one of those children was shot in the foot and uh, was released not very long after from the hospital. Uh, the teacher the same way, and um, the despite her injuries, the the best reports I can find are that uh, she was still even injured trying to help get kids to safety, which uh, you know is one more step. There was a lot of good things I believe that happened here in this incident uh, in the response to the, the evil that arrived there at the school. Um, at the same time, uh, right, the uh, Jacob was shot in the leg, uh, which the bullet struck his femoral artery and caused him to begin hemorrhaging. Um, the All the reports I can find, it, it, it showed him on a trajectory, the shooter, as if he was trying to make entry into the building. And, you know, we've seen that in, in, in all the other active shooters. They want to get inside where the, where the kids are. Uh, what his intentions were, I'm not going to speculate. I have no idea. Uh, but based on all historical evidence of other incidents like this, he was going for a body count for whatever reason. Uh, right down the street, you know, a call came in, and very, very close to uh, the school is uh, the firehouse where uh, Jamie Brock was. Um the Jamie Brock responded quickly, got over there. He was the first person on the scene responding to that call. And uh, he went and confronted the, the student. And there's been terms used that he subdued, confronted, controlled, uh, tackled, you know, all those things. Um, exactly what he did is not clear right now. But um, the results of what he did and the action that he took is clear to me that he saved lives. This kid wanted to get in that school and kill more kids, and that guy went over there and did something about it. He had no gun. He wasn't armed. Didn't didn't have any tools to fight back with him in his hands, to the best of our information. But he went and used his body, and he tackled him, uh, and he he closed the gap to him. Uh, not as again, we don't we don't know exactly what exactly went down. There's, I don't know of any video footage that's available right now. Uh, I wasn't able to find anything, but. Um, he risked his life, and he went out there, and uh, he, he did what needed to be done, and he stopped that attacker. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that and Jamie's uh, responses or, or some things that he may have could have done, uh, and some decisions that he had to make uh, a little bit later on. Um, after he tackled him, uh, we, we stopped kind of hearing about what Jamie was doing. You know, uh, this is my, where my speculation that I was talking about. It, it seems like he was... Um, still there having to hold this kid down or it, even if the kid wasn't resisting anymore uh he couldn't let the kid up obviously uh so he had to uh to keep the the shooter down and, and keep him subdued so he couldn't hurt any more any more kids there or escape um nurse langdell and uh miss nolte provided emergency care for jacob uh he was the most critically injured 
and uh, you know, obviously, if Amora bleed, uh, needed the needed the most care right then, uh, Jacob ended up losing seventy five percent of his blood, uh, and he was transported to a higher care facility via helicopter. The um, there's been a few different reports that you know he was resuscitated on scene, stabilized, and then transported, resuscitated in the helicopter, uh, and then during surgery he suffered cardiac arrest. Um, just it and since result of uh, brain damage from the, the loss of blood, uh, and it ended up being uh, he wasn't able to recover. Uh, it recently been released a little bit earlier today that uh, Jacob passed away at 12:58 p.m. today from from his injuries there and uh you know I, I i'm that we'll talk a little bit more about what what jamie did and some things that took place there and and uh uh and and jacob but um you know i want to i want everybody to understand that i, I i'm going to stay in my lane okay i'm i'm going to this is there, there's a certain thing that i do in life and there's a quest for expertise that i'm on uh there's a quest for knowledge that i'm on and I want to I want to gain that knowledge, and I want to transfer that knowledge to other people, and and have them take that knowledge and make a fit in their life wherever it is. That that's what I do. And I this is I, I'm not talking about uh, I'm not going to get on here and yell and 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 beat my chest and and stand on a soapbox and talk about arming teachers and all that stuff. You know, I I believe that that armed and trained teachers is a step that should be taken. You know, it, it's something that that I believe we need in our society today to help increase the safety of our children, but. I have not seen any evidence of anything that I found in this situation down in Townville where having an armed teacher would have, would have saved little Jacob's life. Um, you know, it's possible that, that the teacher would have got an early indicator and seen it, you know, but based on the timelines that I found, uh, it was so quick, so fast, and the early shots, and it, is, it looks like um, maybe, you know, possibly having an arm teacher could have, but you know, I'm just not seeing any clear indication that that would have made a huge difference. Now, on the contrary, I do believe there's a bit more indication about the trauma and uh, treating that trauma and uh, uh, controlling the hemorrhaging, uh, where that could have been a little better. So maybe, maybe a gun as a tool would have, maybe it wouldn't have. We, we won't know these things till we get some more information, um, but. You know, based on this information that, that I found here, uh, Jacob losing 75% of his blood and how quick everybody was reacting and the fact that we had a firefighter right there that has probably responded to thousands of medical calls, has probably controlled bleeding itself, probably very well trained in those things uh, and probably had tools near him um, or at least you know, had them knew where they were and inaccessible. Um, the what this... The, Maybe and and the nurse, I'm sure she she knew a lot of things. She was she had some training, but you know we we're unable to see how fast she was able to get out there. What other teachers were in the area, uh, those kind of things. And so I, I do believe that uh that better medical equipment and medical training uh, may have been something uh, that would have benefited here. But uh, I mean, I'm gonna talk more about that here shortly. Um. And, and like I said, you know, once we see some more timelines, I plan on revisiting this and because uh, I, I want to be as accurate as possible because I want to learn from this and I want you to learn from this. And, uh, you know, I want us to, to grow together and as a society. And I wish I could push a button and make this never happen again, you know, so that I don't have that power. Uh, I'm, I'm not a mental health 
care provider. You know, I, I don't have any expertise in that. I, I don't, I don't know that, that world. I don't, I don't know that thing. I, I, I can't speak on what we need to do in the healthcare system and how we need to evaluate our kids, you know, and how we need to, um, doctors should, and what was wrong with this kid who, who went and did what he did and murdered this little boy. Um, I, that's not, that's not me. That's not, that's not my world. I'm going to stay in my lane, uh, and talk about what I do. And that's, you know, I, I teach people to stop violence by using violence in most cases. Uh, obviously, there's an avoidance patch or avoidance uh, and some, a lot of other techniques that we can use without having to get to that. But when violence is there and it surprised us and it's on the scene and there's no other answer, violence is the only thing that's going to stop that violence. Uh, and whether that means deadly force or a tackle like Jamie did um, or, or anything, you know, we, we're going to have to meet that and stop that. Uh, and the other thing that I, I teach and I teach in the active killer defense program and I, I teach often, um, is, is how to, how to control hemorrhaging. I am not a, a medical, uh, guru. I, I don't claim to be, and I will not teach outside of anything that I do not understand. Uh, I, there's, there's simple things out there that I don't teach because I don't believe that I know it well enough. Simple for, for a lot of people who are teaching it. Uh, but I don't believe that I know it with the depth of knowledge for me to answer questions and all the what ifs and everything. And if I don't understand the, all the questions and all the what ifs and all that, I won't teach it. Um, but I do believe that I can teach someone to apply a tourniquet uh, and I can teach them to do that well. And I can also teach them uh, to, to pack a wound and uh, just use some basic hemorrhage control techniques uh, and some methods. Uh, that's what I, that's my lane. That's what I do. Fighting violence with violence and that immediate post-incident or even during care under fire in some situations um, where I'm, I'm trying to keep blood in bodies and save lives till people who really know what they're doing arrive. Um, I, I, I do believe that, uh, you know, based on everything that I found, that, that having a trauma kit or having trauma kits on site, and maybe not even just this case, but in every case, in, in every shooting we've seen like this, uh, having trauma kits on site and staff members trained to use those uh, is, is going to have a positive impact. Uh, and even in this case, it could have kept more blood in, in little Jacob's body. And, uh, you know, he, he could have possibly been released right now instead of, um, you know, the family planning his burial. And it's, again, that's, that's a little bit of speculation because I don't have all the information, but this is, uh, it's so sad when I when I see that many people around and that and then in this situation and the response time and there's still exsanguination occurring and uh, it's heartbreaking, man. It it is. Uh, so skills and knowledge is uh, kind of the next thing I, I want to talk about. So uh, I want to take these to the school. I want you to take it to your school. I want you to get somebody to take it to your school. I, w I want I want us to, to get to work on this, man, if we can. Uh, teaching people how to, to apply tourniquets and wound packing and killing the myths and the, the negative stigma with the, the tourniquet. You know, this is 2016. We're not in the Civil War. It's just so different. And we'll, we'll do an episode later on just about these things. And I'm going to get some people on here that speak much more uh, knowledgeable than, uh, than I do on all these things. But, uh, you know, the tourniquet application and wound packing, uh, it's, it's just, those are a couple of techniques and not all of them, um, and could, could help control bleeding. And I, I believe that I want my teacher of my sons, both of them to know how to do that. And it may not be a gunshot. It may be something else. 
You know, I, I imagine that that there's a child. If I don't, and you too, for your kids, if if there's a child, could you imagine just watching them bleed and you just don't know how to stop it? But if someone would have spent ten minutes with you, showing some simple things and how to do some simple things, and you had those tools with you, you could have saved their life. Because this isn't, it's not rocket surgery, right? It's not the most complicated thing ever. We're not we're not talking about, uh, you know, doing anything. We're not open heart surgery or anything here. We're we're talking about closing off an artery or packing it and, and helping and assisting in, in coagulation and getting a clot. Um, and it's, uh, it, it is, it doesn't require a, uh, a postdoc in hemorrhage control to control hemorrhage. It really doesn't. Um, and, and I believe, I believe something that should be taught in high school that we should, we all know, uh, maybe even middle school. Um, we can do it. Uh, and you know, the other thing, um, this is, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something that the internet may not be ready for. Um, that uh, it's something that that I am not even in the slightest ashamed to be teaching. I am unabashedly 100% for this, without a doubt. I have researched it thoroughly. I have looked at court precedents, case law, uh, anything that I can find and found ways to tie it in. Um, and I, I do believe that there's risk involved with this, legal, civil, and mental. Uh, but I, I truly believe ethically it is the right thing. So this is one thing that we present to uh, students in the active killer defense program is uh, an ethical dilemma. Uh, let, let's say I've got, I've got a bad guy. And, you know, we see guys like Adam Lanza and, and this, this kid, this 14-year-old um, here at, at uh, Townville. We see them. They're usually these, these smaller guys. They're, they're not the, uh, the biggest, you know, the football players. And, you know, in some cases, active shooters are. But, you know, we didn't see Harrison Klebold being that way either. And if they get tackled, and like Jamie Brock did, he took them down, uh, tackled them. But then, you know, a short distance away – was young Jacob there bleeding. And uh, I give this same ethical dilemma. I've been doing it for, um, I guess, about eight months now. Um, I, I ask these teachers, in the, in the, if you have your, your student right there and your student squirting blood out of their femoral artery, I use this exact situation. And this is why this just hits home with me so much. And they're squirting blood out of their femoral artery. You've tackled this, this shooter and you slam their head against the ground, and they're semi-conscious, conscious, and we know from the totality of the circumstances, and based on all the historical evidence, and every single thing that every every active shooter that we've researched and everything we've learned, that they're armed with rifles, handguns, and knives. Usually, almost in every case, even even the uh, uh, the the train in Paris, where uh, or France, where the uh, the shooter went from rifle to handgun to knife, and uh, the U.S. service member stopped him. Um, they they we we see this. On almost every one of these active murderer spree killer situations. So, it, to the best of my knowledge, this guy still has a gun. He still wants to hurt people. We see 84% or better have to be stopped by force, uh, whether it's force they apply to themselves due to force that's, you know, someone that's threatened force on them or uh, someone else has to shoot them. They rarely ever try to escape and run and leave. Uh, they're there for a body count till the end, whatever that end may be in their mind. Um, I know that this guy's still got some fight in him. And I've got one tourniquet. And I've got the shooter's gun. And I've got my student over there squirting blood out of his or her femoral artery. Your ethical dilemma is, do I take that tourniquet 
and to apply that tourniquet to that shooter's hands in, in, a, in a, a way to tie him up so he can't get away and he can't hurt anybody else. And then I go over and apply direct pressure on that student's leg or arm. And maybe by that time, they still have some blood in their body. Or do I take my other tool that I have, and that's the firearm that I just removed from that shooter, and do I use that gun to immediately incapacitate and free up and make sure that the scene is 100% secure so now I don't have to allocate any resources at all to subduing that attacker that wants to murder more people. And then I can go in and I can take that tourniquet and I can apply it to that child's leg and I can save that child's life. I talk to law enforcement officers, uh, talk to them all over the country, and um, I ask them these similar questions. And I'm, I'm hearing it all over the place that it's a higher priority for them to get this building clear and make sure there's not another murderer in there killing kids than it is to stop and handcuff somebody that may or may not be conscious, that may or may not be incapacitated completely. Uh, and they, as well as myself, believe that there is a, a time where we need to go straight to the highest level of force there is, and I need to completely end this so that I can provide care. If we're talking ethics, what action can I take that saves the most life? I've got three kids bleeding right now. I've got a room full of kindergartners and, 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 and first graders. I don't have a room full of football players to go hold this guy down and make sure he doesn't hurt anybody else. I've got kindergartners and first graders right now. And I've got multiple of those bleeding right now. That person that came in and started murdering people has surrendered their right to live. And I love that little 14-year-old, man. I, I, don't, I don't want him to burn in hell. I don't want him to, to have a horrible life. I want him to get the love and the care and the help that he needs and he deserves. And I, 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 I honestly mean this from the bottom of my heart. I, I want him to get everything he needs. I wanted to hate him. I wanted to be mad at him when I thought about this a lot. Um, I, it's, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying this as I'm, I'm not judge, jury, and executioner, and you don't deserve to be, or rate, or none of us do to be judge, jury, and executioner. That is not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about taking the life of a murderer because we feel that we have some obligation or it's the right thing to do. I'm talking about, I am using the only tools and the assets that I have available to ensure the lives, more lives, more people live, more kids live. More of them, we, we don't, I don't have to watch a little boy bleed out while I'm holding another child down that, that came in and tried to kill other kids. I'm going to save those kids' lives. And that, that's a choice that, that people were faced with. And I believe Jamie was faced with that choice. And I believe he, he, that, that they, they directed other people to get out there and hurt and, and help uh, and help Jacob. And I believe that those two teachers that responded, um, you know, Nurse, Nurse Langdale and Miss Nolte, they, they're the ones who gave Jacob a fighting chance. Had they not came out there and started treating that his wound, and I, it, there's, it's pretty, pretty clear, you know, with a femoral bleed that he, he's probably not going to make it that long till EMS arrives. Uh, so I, I believe they gave him that fighting chance. But what if things would have worked a little bit differently, and that situation was ended immediately, and the guy who had some training, and and knew and had had seen blood that many times. Uh, as possibly Jamie had. And this is my speculation here, guys. I'm not pretending like I know exactly what happened. Um, uh, I'm not at all, and I don't want you to feel that way. This is just uh, uh, just me figuring out, trying to figure out what happened. Um, but his Jamie's removal from the situation, uh, even though it was in close proximity, 
uh, in all the stories and all the uh, accounts is uh, it, to me, it seems like it's, it's, it's alluding to uh, Jamie was tied up, occupied, holding this, this kid down. And uh, you know, what, what if we could have freed up Jamie immediately, not, not in five, 10 seconds, immediately freed up Jamie to go over there and, and save Jacob. How much blood could we have kept in his body? Um, and I, I believe that goes to mindset. I think we need to change the way we think about active shooters. We are not talking about self-defense at 2 a.m. at the gas pumps. We're not talking about uh, home invasion. We're talking about every single time this happens, they're going after mass murder and a high body count, and they want to kill more kids, and they want to be on the news, and they want to, whatever their reasoning is, it never, it's not going to make any sense to us sane individuals. It's not going to happen. We can't look at this. I've had people tell me that that oh you, you you can't you can't do it. And maybe I don't use the deadly force to incapacitate them. I can just slam their head against the ground a few times. And they're like, well, well, that's great. And then I ask them the question: Is slamming their head against the ground or stomping their head against the ground is that deadly force? Is pulling a trigger more or less deadly force than me stomping somebody's head on the ground when it's in contact with the concrete or whatever kind of floor is there? Deadly force is deadly force. And I, in in my opinion. If it comes between a murderer's, a guy who went in there and started killing kids, I will, I, I am in my mind and in my pre-planning to the best of, of my ability and assessment of myself, I will take on the risk of, of civil, legal, and, and what I would have to deal with for the rest of my life mentally if I had to do that, um, Obviously, I can't know for sure. I hope I'm never in that situation. I hope nobody out there listening is, and I, and I hope nobody ever's in that situation again in, in all of humanity forever. But that's just not reality. Um, but I, I, I believe that I'm willing to pay that price uh, and and take that risk to get over there and get a tourniquet or get something to to figure out a way to keep more blood in that child's body. So. Uh, it's courage, right? And it's fortitude. And uh, in, in the active killer defense program, we, we try to push people to be first, be the first person. You know, there's uh, some studies out there that, that say that basically when an emergency happens and something bad is going on, everybody in the room is always thinking, well, there's probably somebody in here more qualified than I am. There's probably somebody in here who knows better how to control bleeding than I do. So I'm going to let that person bleed until somebody runs over there. Uh, then maybe I'll go help them and follow and help them if they need any help with anything. Or like that guy's hurting people. There's probably somebody more qualified to stop them. There's probably, is there a cop here? The cops will be here in a minute. You know, we'll, I'll just, I'll just go over here and hope. Well, that, that's, that's not the way, um, that's not, that's not the most, most productive attitude and I believe that the most productive attitude is I'm going to go be first and while I'm running to tackle this dude I'm going to yell and I'm going to get help and I'm going to get every single person that I can to hear me come help me hold him grab his legs hold his arm stand on the gun do whatever you can do I'm going to be fighting this guy ripping ears off thumbs and eyes biting scratching anything that I can possibly do to stop this guy and delay him there, there's been there's been many many situations out there where where citizens tackled people. When Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was shot, that's how it ended. They exploited an opportunity and they tackled the shooter. We saw it in the Sick Temple shooting in Ohio. The 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 house resident gave his life, and all he achieved was a delay. He delayed the shooter, but he delayed him long enough that the shooter went out the door and left shortly thereafter and encountered Officer Murphy arriving. We saw it in uh, 
in uh, the the Oregon shooting, where uh, where where that same thing happened, and and the former army cat stood in front of the door and said, "You're not coming in here," and he got shot multiple times, and he saved lives that day. You know, they 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 stop him, uh, in acting, doing something. It works time and time again. Jamie Brock saved multiple lives. We could have had another Sandy Hook massacre on our hands. It's bad enough that little Jacob lost his life. It's bad enough that his parents lost their their precious little boy. But Jamie saved that. It, yeah, I, 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 everything that I've seen and read, uh, what he did was was nothing short of heroic. Uh, but I don't believe it's it's just because he's special and he's some amazing person that just was born with this attitude. I believe that he every single one of us can do what Jamie did if we have the courage and the fortitude to go be first. Not only that, but then we got to start after this it's immediate while it's still going on and immediately post that incident. Um, we train people and, and I talk to them about it. Uh, you, if you understand how to pack a wound and apply a tourniquet and hold direct pressure, uh, if you understand those things, you can be a force multiplier. So you're you're directing everybody to apply pressure and, and do work, and you're working on triage. So you can you can direct you know emergency services to the most uh, critically injured very very quickly because you have a small amount of understanding. You don't have to have a degree in this stuff. But I, if I understand these things, you know we spend so much time making people go take CPR and all these other things, and you know the the it, it's not it, there's nothing wrong with CPR and basic life support and all that, but but they're not teaching hemorrhage control. And that's why people are dying in these events, is people don't understand how to control hemorrhage. Go learn. Make sure your school teachers are, are, are learning. Go confront the school boards. Confront your teachers. Go to your school resource officers. Have the courage and the fortitude to do that. Not if you if you sit in there right now and you believe that you have the courage and the fortitude to go do what Jamie Brock did and tackle an active shooter. But you're too scared to go talk to your school board or your school resource officer or your teachers or any of those people and stand in front of them and, and email and contact and call your state, local, and federal representatives and tell them to put massive bleeding kits and make them readily accessible in school grounds in multiple locations and make sure the, ta- the staff is trained to use those items. You're not going to go tackle that shooter like Jamie Brock did. You won't even go push for the things that we can do beforehand. Go do it. I'm not preaching. I, I I have talked to schools. I went and talked to my, my son's uh, school that we, he went to in Wichita, and I convinced them to do the active killer defense program, and we taught 10 of their teachers. Um, and if I'd have stayed there longer, I think we'd have, we'd have done more of their teachers. And it's uh, I, I, I put my money where my mouth is. Went and did it for free. Didn't charge them anything. So it's uh, I, I challenge you. Let's, let's save some kids' lives. And... We need to do this at the ground level, at the parent level, and put pressure where it's needed. Now, here's here's the, uh, I think it's the biggest, the most important lesson learned here, uh, but it's the one that I was dreading the most. And I've tried to start recording this episode about 17 times now, and uh, I've failed miserably. Uh, made it this far without any tears, and uh, proud of myself. Um see how this goes. But I believe this is the most powerful lesson learned. I'm going to read to you the family statement that was released today for for uh, little Jacob. Our son, Jacob Hall, who was shot at Townville Elementary School on Wednesday, died today. 
surrounded by family at Greenville Health System Children's Hospital. Jacob came into our lives six years and four months ago and changed it completely. He showed us how to love, laugh, and smile. Even on days, even on days we did not want to, God gave him to us and he was taken away from us by a senseless act. We know that Jacob has already forgiven this child for what he did to him and his family because that's the kind of child he was. Jacob was sent to this earth for this short period of time to show us that there is such a thing as pure love. Jacob is in heaven with God now and everyone who loves him. Words cannot express how much we will miss him. We want to express our thanks and appreciation to the community for the outpouring of love and support. We also want to thank the doctors and nurses at GHS Children's Hospital who did everything in their power to try to save Jacob, and to Miss Hollingsworth who put her life on the line to try to protect and save Jacob. We also want to thank Preacher Blizzard and the staff of Oakdale Baptist Church, the Townville Rescue Squad, Townville Fire Department, Fire Chief Billy McAdams, and all the first responders. This is an extremely difficult time for our family, and we ask for privacy as we continue to grieve the loss of our beloved son. Funeral arrangements will be shared on Monday. Renee and Roger Hall. And that is uh, what I think is the most powerful lesson learned. Why the 14-year-old murderer did what he did call me a bleeding heart, call me a hippie. I tell my students the same thing. I tell them they came to class to spend eight hours, 16 hours and $400 to learn to run a handgun, draw from concealment, shoot in austereal shooting positions, be uncomfortable all day long. Have me holding them to a high standard and, and, and telling them how they're wrong and how they can be right. And, and they're bringing this humility and leaving the ego at home. And they're, they're doing all these things not because they want to be better at shooting people, not because they want to be better at killing people. It's not for malice. It's not for evil. It's the complete opposite. The people who go train and the people who, who put the time and effort into this and carry a firearm for the protection of themselves and their families, the ones who go learn medical, our law enforcement officers, all those, they, they do these things for love. They do it for love. I, I, want, I, I train hard because I, I love my wife and my kids. I love my family. I don't want to die at the gas pumps. I don't want to die somewhere in some fight. I want to make sure I have the tools with me. And I want to make sure I have the skills and the knowledge to employ those tools and make the right decisions so I can preserve my life and the lives of those around me and the lives of my loved ones that are more than likely going to be around me if that fight comes. And I want to make sure I have the tools and the skills and knowledge to be able to show up for that fight. And that my wife and kids and my family get to go home and we get to all continue to live. I make sure I understand legal and decision making and ethics and all those things. Because I want to make sure I'm making the right decision so I don't end up in jail for the rest of my life. And then how can I provide for my family then? I do this and I go train and I get this training and I provide this training. And people come to it because of love. And that's why they do it. I get looked at funny, especially when I got SWAT cops and I give them that talk. Um, but I, I truly, 100% believe that. And I believe that this family, Renee and Roger Hall, are amazing people. 
And once again, reading this statement, I'm reminded of, of my youngest son, Gunner, um, and just the, his attitude and how caring and, and loving it he is uh, and how this little boy Jacob was. And he's special, man. This, this little boy's special. The world's darker. The world's darker now because Jacob's not here. But I believe that, that Jacob being here for those six years and, and four months, the world got brighter because of him. He touched lives. And uh, he's touched me, man. i tell you that. He has. I don't know what I can do. I'm working on some things, trying to figure it out. But I don't want there to ever be another situation where another child passes away like Jacob did. Like I said earlier, this has been one of the most powerful experiences that I've had in a long time. And I I believe that, that we need to we need to take action and we need to start it at the parent level. And we need to confront our schools, our legislature, and we need to make sure that that there's training and the tools are available regardless of what feelings it's gonna hurt, regardless of what perceptions it may cause, it does not matter. We can no longer say that this will never happen here. Every single small town in this country is one incident away from being on the tip of everyone's tongue in the country, whether you've ever heard of it or not. We got to do something. Let's not get fired up about this. I've been working this active shooter thing for a long time now. And the biggest problem I have with it, I st we start gaining ground. Not just me by myself, but with other people. We start gaining ground. We start feel like we're, we're actually doing something and getting somewhere and changing perceptions, changing the way people think, changing the way society may feel and how we may respond and how we're, we're equipped for it and how we train for it. And then a gorilla uses the wrong bathroom. And next thing you know, nobody cares about little Jacob Hall anymore. I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm not going to forget Jacob Hall. I ask that you don't forget them either. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Shaw, and uh, I really appreciate you guys listening to Gunfighter Cast. And uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. Gunfighter Cast out.